Amen. You may be seated. Today, let's see, if, if I unmute it, it works much better. That's kind of how that works. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent just means coming or expectation or arrival. Uh, if you're like me, you can never remember what Advent actually stands for. Um, so you have to kind of look it up every year and go, oh, okay, it just means like coming or expectation or arrival. And so this Advent season, the season leading up to Christmas, we, we celebrate uh, different, we, different things. So each week there's a kind of a theme for the week, and so today the theme is hope. Um, hope is an interesting thing for us, as a video portrayed, that light coming into the world is hope for us. And so we, we have often a Hanging the Green service last week, so we want to say thank you again to uh, the Nelson and Dindle families especially for all their leadership in that. But, but in that event, we light candles, or we use fake ones because we don't want you to burn the place down. Um, but, but we have light that is lit on purpose as a reminder that God comes to bring hope. Hope is one of those things that can't barely, really be put out. Hope, hope can't be erased. Hope is something that, that we see in various ways and places in our lives. In fact, some of you are probably hoping because if you're going to the women's Christmas party um, on Tuesday, December 12th at 6.30 at Marla Punch's house, which is 3180 South Dangle. So basically, I'll say this. If you're a woman and you want to be a part of like whatever women do at Christmas time, uh, you are invited to go to this. Um, I'm not invited, so I don't know a lot about it, but apparently there's gifts involved. Um, and if you know what that is, then you're already a part. If you don't know what it is, bring a $10 gift and you get to be a part. So... Um, if you have more questions, ask someone that's female. Um, but what we find about hope is this idea that hope really is about an unexpected arrival. Um, it's an unexpected arrival. I mean, we can hope for something. We don't know when it's going to come. We can kind of think it's out there and it may come, but we're not 
100% sure. And so I think there are unexpected arrivals in our lives in lots of ways. There are unexpected arrivals that are good. You know, we kind of waiting for something to come and we think it's going to come and we're expecting it and it, it's going to be a really good thing. And there are other unexpected arrivals. Uh, we don't necessarily consider them good. Uh, so I'll give it kind of a few examples because I think that's, that's sometimes helpful. And so I, I've noticed with my own children how, how the world is so much different for them than it was for me and than it was for my parents. Maybe we kind of notice each generation the world looks different. Uh, it's not good or bad, it's just different. And, and so I was thinking about how the world is so different for them than, than it was for me. And so I remember as a kid, you know, I would, I would, I would change a television. I remember when I was a really little kid, I, I had to get up and press buttons on the television to change it. There were, there were like 13 of them. And uh, you may remember when there were fewer than that, but there were 13 when I was a little kid. And so I remember having to get up, and it was a big wooden TV that weighed about 1,000 pounds. Um, and, and now people don't have them anymore. I mean, they're, or they're, they're in landfill somewhere. Um, but but they were, it was a heavy TV. I remember moving that when I was a little older, and it was awful. But, but we had, that was the TV we had. And then I remember, um, like for my kids, they, they don't know what that is. I mean, they, they grew up in a, in a generation where um, they don't even know what cords are sometimes. Like, you plug stuff in, what's that? I mean, that, that, that's just a different world for them. And so I was thinking how, how one of the things that we both really look forward to as kids is the mail, right? Because the mail comes every day but Sunday. And so so as a kid, I would always want to get the mail because every once in a while there would be a card or, or for me, I'd look forward to the East Bay catalog, sports catalog. Maybe you know what that is. Maybe you don't. Um, or, or Sports Illustrated would come once a week. And so I would always want to get the mail on that day. Uh, my kids don't know that kind of stuff came in the mail. They just think it's called junk mail and they, they throw it away because they don't know any different. But, but I, would, I would wait expectantly hoping um, for something different. But my kids, on the other hand, um, they... They don't quite see the mail quite that way. They look forward to see, getting the mail, but they don't, they don't think of the mail in the way I did. Um, see, I went, we went to stores all the time. My kids think everything comes from the mail. Like an example, the other day, uh, someone asked Isaac, they said, well, I like your shirt or your shoes or something. And he goes, oh, thanks. And she, she said, well, where did you get it? And he said, from the mail. <laughs> like, what do you mean? That's where everything comes from. Like, all my stuff comes from the mail. I didn't know, like, there are stores. The novelty to him is a store, uh, even though you buy stuff from stores, they just ship it to your house. It's just different today than it was when I was a kid. Like, I mean, I think about phones. Maybe you've noticed this, that um, I remember I got my first cell phone when I was 21. I thought it was really cool. Um, and, and so I paid that bill, and it sure seemed like a lot until I get the bill now, and, and it doesn't seem so bad. Um, but, but my kids don't know that there are cords to phones. Right? Like, they, they just don't know that. They, they've never had that in their life. What, why is it connected to the thing? How come I can't talk across the room? I can't see them, right? I mean, this is the reality of life is different, um, but unexpected arrivals, and I could go back to the mail, and like when, now the unexpected arrivals I don't like are like when medical bills come. Have you noticed this? They don't send one. They send 50 for one thing, and you're like, could you have just put it on one so I could look at this? Instead, you send me a new one every week, and I'm not sure which one I'm supposed to pay or not pay, and so I'll pay them someday. Um, but that's kind of how that works. Those are unexpected arrivals we don't really like. Uh, or when they raise the rates on something, those are unexpected arrivals we don't want. But I was thinking how um, one of the biggest unexpected arrivals in our life was pseudo-expected. It was kind of expected just a few weeks earlier than we thought. Remember when Katie was pregnant with Isaac, um, we, we went to the doctor, and she was due in about, about two, two and a half weeks. 
So we went to the doctor and we walk in and Dr. Yalamanchili is this little Filipino woman that's about four foot five. I mean, she was short and, um, but she was stern. She still scares me and, and I live in another state. And, and so Dr. Yalamanchili was talking to Katie and she says, okay, uh, this is a Tuesday. And she says, how about Thursday? And Katie looks at her and she says, Thursday for what? How about we deliver this baby on Thursday? And Katie goes, but that's not my due date. I'm due in like two and a half weeks. That's not what I'm due. And she says, yeah, but, but you're ready. Like, we'll just induce you and deliver this baby. This baby's ready to come out. It's time to deliver this baby. Katie goes, but it's not my due date. Like, I'm not ready for this. I have two and a half more weeks. And for the next five to ten minutes, Dr. Yalom and Chile had a cordial conversation about the pros and cons of why you would go ahead and move this up. And and we get out to the car, you know, 20 minutes later, and my wife smacks me in the arm and she goes, why didn't you say anything in there? And I looked at her and I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, when she said, how about Thursday, you didn't say anything. I said, Katie, we talked for five or ten minutes. And she goes, you did? I said, yes. She goes, where was I? I said, that's what I wondered that whole five or ten minutes. So Dr. Yellen Chile convinced us to come in and get a, a sonogram the next day, which was her way of locking us in a room and saying, oh, you need to go to the hospital right now. And so we didn't plan on it that day because we still thought we had two and a half weeks. And so I had played golf that day and was kind of smelly and, and we didn't have a bag packed and we hadn't eaten dinner. And so we have to go to the hospital. And so I eat pizza with the nurses in, in the lobby because I shouldn't take that in the room. And my wife can't eat anything. And so it was a great night for all of us. But about four in the morning, this kid comes. And it went from being an unexpected arrival to a rather spectacular event in our lives. But it wasn't supposed to happen then. Not that way. It's supposed to happen differently. See, for most of us, that's really the story of Jesus. We expected God was going to send someone into the world to kind of save and redeem us. Like, that's what the Bible tells us. That's what the, the prophets of old wrote about. But, but we expected it to come the way everything else had come. I mean, like a conquering king, we thought he would be born in some spectacular way. I mean, we, we make a manger of wood, to be clear. It was probably like a cave. But, but that's not the point. The point is, we didn't expect the king that would be the one who would redeem the world to come as a baby. It just didn't make sense in our minds, even though that, that's how all babies come. We expected something differently. And so the story of the birth of Jesus really is kind of a, a story of unexpected arrival. It's the story that Luke shares with us about the way this one that we call Jesus, that even 2,000 years later, we talk about all the time. In fact, Christmas is the only holiday that really is a religious holiday that's celebrated by almost everyone. It's true. Maybe we don't know why we celebrate it like we think Santa Claus is the reason we celebrate Christmas. I mean, for little kids, and in some ways they get it, get their minds wrapped around that. But, but the reality is this story that we believe to be true literally has changed the world. And so this morning we're in Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 5. I'll let you just stand as we read from Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. Uh, it's a little long this morning, so I'll apologize. But if I make you stand for it, then you're less likely to fall asleep. So that works out well. Luke 1 verse 5 says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. 
But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the Lord, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said, and these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I mean, if you thought this story was, was bizarre, then um, you would be accurate. It kind of is. I mean, it begins with us telling us kind of who Zechariah and Elizabeth are. There are two people out of the line of Aaron, out of family descendants of Aaron, who was the priest, the Levites, the, the priesthood of God's people. 
And it says Zechariah and Elizabeth were two people that lived basically kind of righteous, good lives. They, they did their best to be followers of God in, in their everyday, ordinary life. Zechariah would, would have been one of the priests, and, and as such, he would have served in the temple. And because there were so many priests in that line, uh, you would have only served about two weeks a year. So two different times during the year, you would have gone to the temple to serve your priestly role as a part of that family. It's interesting, it says they were upright, righteous people, but at the same time, it says uh, Elizabeth didn't have kids. If you're like me, you're like, well, you know, that happens sometimes that, that people can't have children. Um, and in our day, we, we, we recognize that, and we don't, we don't see that as anyone's done anything wrong. But in that day, it, it was thought, not true, but it was thought, that if you couldn't get pregnant, it was because there was something sinful about you. And so here, these two people have, have the, like, they've got the great family history, but they have no kids. And so they would have been looked down upon because they're, they're kind of old. And there's no children. And so Zechariah goes to, to do his priestly duty, and he goes to the temple, and he's there working. And, and he, um, he goes in to light the incense for the time of worship together. And, and when he does this, this angel shows up. Once again, it's an unexpected arrival. And angel Gabriel looks at him and says, hey, um, Zechariah, you, you're a good guy. You've been faithful. God's noticed your faithfulness. In fact, um, he's going to give you guys a child. There was Zechariah going, oh, cool. I mean, how are we getting this kid? Who's going to have him? And the angel looks at him and says, no, your, your wife's going to have the child. And, he, and Zechariah, he's politically correct even when his wife's not present. He says, well, you know, I'm pretty old, um, and she's getting along in years. It's a polite way of saying, my wife is too old to have a baby, man. Are you nuts? And Gabriel looks at him and he says, well, I tell you what, um, your wife's going to be be pregnant. In fact, this kid is going to be incredible. He's going to be like Elijah. You remember the prophet of old, the one who, who kind of helped God's people know who God was? That prophet, you remember him? Uh, well, he's going to be like this, the, almost not the reincarnation because we don't really believe in that, but, but he's going to be like the new Elijah who helps God's people know who God is. And so there are certain things I want you to do with him and, and, uh, and don't be afraid. And I, and I can imagine if I'm Zechariah, I'm going, mm, yeah, do you know how this works? Um, are you sure about this? At that point, Gabriel goes, I tell you what, and I, can just, I kind of picture him chuckling as he says this. Maybe he wasn't. He says, I tell you what, since you don't believe me and I come as a representative of God and we're in the temple of all places and you can't figure out I'm from God, I tell you what, how about you can't talk again until this baby's born? Sound good? And then you'll know. You'll know that we really meant this. So Zechariah's been in here for a while and he heads back out and, and he's lit the incense and people are wanting to know what happens because they know he's seen some kind of vision or something's happened, but he can't speak. Can you imagine trying to mime to people? Hey, my wife is going to have a baby and he's going to be the new Elijah. Can you imagine trying to do that with hand gestures? I mean, I, I, I just think it'd be funny to watch. It, it, it's not really doable. Unexpected arrivals. But see, Zechariah and Elizabeth were two people living their ordinary life out of faithfulness when God brought into their life something unexpected, something earth-shattering, something life-changing, something worth telling other people about. This unexpected arrival, this unexpected news um, in your everyday ordinary life can change the world. In fact, um, sometimes we see unexpected things 
that aren't necessarily great, and we can, we can learn to see them as better than they really are. So I use an example from my own life. This week, uh, I got a call. Uh, the days blur together now, but it was Monday or Wednesday. I got a call from my mom uh, letting me know that my, my dad's mom, my grandmother, um, that the spot they found on her lungs a few weeks ago well, really is cancer, and it's growing. And so she has this, this, this tumor on her lung, and it's not unlike many of the stories of some of your own families. Um, so I call my grandmother, who's 94 and still drives around and still functions well, and, and, and I'm kind of teary-eyed on the phone with my grandma, and I say, Grandma, you know, I, I hate to hear this, and I'm so sorry, and, and she goes, oh, honey, quit. Um, just stop. She says, I don't know about you, but I believe in a Heavenly Father who heals people. And she said, and if he doesn't heal me, then I, I believe in a God who loves me, and I've lived a good life. He said, in fact, I wake up every single day with a sense of purpose on how, what I'm living for. In my everyday life, I wake up knowing this. That I want more people to know that God loves them. That Jesus died for them. And so, Aaron, I wake up every day and I have a purpose. I have a sense of reason to live. She said, so whether I have, whether I'm going to live to be 110 or whether this is it, it doesn't really matter because that purpose, God's not done with me yet. And so I was thinking for many of us, what, what if in our everyday ordinary lives, what if, what if we, ex- we live with even knowing the unexpected can come, the unexpected arrivals may not always be good, but what if we lived with a sense of purpose like Zechariah and Elizabeth? And all of a sudden, sometimes the unexpected arrivals are blessings that we didn't foresee. We didn't expect this child. Um, <laughs> Zechariah didn't expect to not speak either, but sometimes things happen in ways we didn't expect. And then we get to the story of Mary. I think we miss Mary's story so often because we forget she would have been about a 13 or 14-year-old girl. That's it. By the way, it's a 7th or 8th grader if you want some perspective. And Mary, Mary is a 7th or 8th grade girl, was betrothed. Betrothed is a better word than engaged. We use engaged in Scripture sometimes, but, but engagement in the Scriptures isn't really the same as engagement today. Like engaged today, we think, oh, well, if I don't like this, I can give you my ring back and we can be done. That's not kind of how it worked there, because when you get, were engaged in this world, it was like you were married, but because the husband had to have a room built on the family house before you could be officially married, uh, you would be engaged or you would be officially legally married even though you didn't live together. And so, Mary looks at Gabriel, who once again begins with the same words, they're the same words to us. Do not be afraid. You found favor with God. I've got good news for you, Mary. You're a 13 or 14-year-old girl. In fact, you're pregnant. And Mary looks at the angel and says what, what I mean, all of us are thinking here. Like, um, Gabriel, I don't know if you understand how pregnancy works, um, you know, two people kind of have to come together for someone to get pregnant, and uh, I haven't done that. In fact, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not even, I'm like kind of married, not even really married all the way yet. So, um, like, this is really bad for me if this doesn't go this way. Uh, are you sure? Gabriel says, yeah, the Lord loves you. And I, if you're like me, you're going, yeah, well, the Lord loves me, huh? Because I know the repercussions of what this could be. I mean, I could be ostracized in town. Can you imagine walking around? It's like the Scarlet Letter book all over again with a big A on my chest. I mean, this is kind of a bad picture. You, you mean I've got to go to the market and, and I'm going to be pregnant and I don't even live with Joseph yet and they're going to be able to do math and tell like, you know, based on when they got married, there's no way this would have worked that way. In fact, Joseph, what if he doesn't even marry me? What if my dad disowns me? 
I mean, what if, what if, because the law says they can kill me? I mean, are you sure about this? But see, actually, Mary doesn't respond in those ways. I mean, ways that I think are, are pretty, pretty reasonable. Instead, Mary responds and she says this, I am the Lord's servant. Huh. Are you sure about that? I, I don't know that I want to be um, the Lord's servant in this. I mean, I could, could be killed, could be ostracized, could be divorced. I mean, uh, I mean this, is, this is not really something appealing to me. I, I don't know. But rather than dwelling in the what-ifs, Mary just says, okay, I'm in. I'm in. If this is God, if, if in my everyday ordinary faithfulness to God, if this is what it produces, then I'm in. Let's do this. If, if God is capable of making me pregnant, then God is capable of getting me through this situation. I'm in. And then Mary runs to Elizabeth's house because she's thinking, this story is so crazy. I can tell the only other person that's this crazy. If my, co- if my cousin's house, if Elizabeth is pregnant at, as an old woman, then I've got to go talk to her about this because this is crazy. No one else can I share this with. I can't tell Joseph yet. So she runs to Elizabeth's house and she, she enters and she yells for probably Elizabeth. And when she yells out, the baby in Elizabeth's belly says leaps. I'm guessing probably just kicks. I don't know the baby's jump. Maybe it jumps. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they have the, the strength or the core strength to do that. I don't think that's possible yet. But Elizabeth comes to her and says, Mary, why am I so blessed that I have this child, but why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord would come visit me? And we look back now and we say, Mary's faithfulness had impact on the past, but it still has impact on the present. I mean, really, the stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary are just stories of faithfulness. They're stories of ordinary people living their ordinary lives, faithful to God, who loves them. And in the midst of their ordinary lives, unexpected arrivals happen. I mean, the first unexpected arrival is is Gabriel to Zechariah, and then it's Elizabeth being pregnant, and then it's Gabriel again to Mary, and then it's Mary to Elizabeth's house. Unexpected arrivals are all throughout this story. And in fact, eventually Jesus comes as this unexpected arrival, a way we didn't expect God to work. But the words in these stories are the words for us today. They're kind of simple, actually. It's don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But be faithful in your everyday life. Be faithful to God. Follow him because he's got what's best for you in store. He's got purpose for your life. That Even if the news you get isn't good news, he still has hope for you and for your life. See, we're called to be a people of hope who give hope in our everyday ordinary lives by how we live. But for many of us, we kind of live, if we're going to be honest, paralyzed by fear. You see, I'm not afraid of anything. Really? I, I, maybe not. Maybe you're not. But are you sharing the story of who Jesus is in your life? Well, no. I mean, okay, you're afraid. Well, are you, are you a model for what it looks like to follow Jesus in your workplace? Well, well, not really. Oh, well, then maybe that's fear. I mean, do you invite people to church? Well, sometimes, but I, they might tell me no. Probably also fear again. I mean, are we leading and modeling for our kids and our grandkids what it means to know the one who loves us? 
Maybe, maybe not. But what if we lived every single day trusting our relationships, our families, our job? What if we lived as faithful people and trusting that to God? What if we lived every day expecting the unexpected arrivals? What if every day was an opportunity for God to be at work in our lives? What if every single day we lived in such a way that maybe God could use us in ways we never expected? But it requires faithfulness. It's why one of the people, I love their stories because um, I think this person lives their whole life waiting for unexpected arrivals. This is a guy named Tony Campolo. He's getting kind of old now, but he's got some really good stories. Tony tells a story about when he went out to Hawaii several years ago. And I've told this story before, but I think it really epitomizes the idea that he, you would live waiting for unexpected arrivals in your life for, to, for encounters with people in our ordinary lives. And so Tony lives in the Philadelphia area. He was a professor there and he was speaking in Hawaii. And so the time difference is about five or six hours. You know, that's a pretty big, big difference. And so he, he wakes up at three in the morning and can't sleep. And so he's hungry because it's breakfast time. And so he, he walks around, looks for a diner, finally finds a place that's open. It's kind of those greasy spoon places. He said it, it was the kind of place that the silverware stuck to the, the table and, and it's kind of gross. You know, just we've all been there. We all, maybe we enjoy those places. I kind of do sometimes if I'm honest. Um, but but he, he's there and, and he decides he doesn't want anything off the menu because he's sure it can't be cleaner in the back if it's just dirty on the front. But he looks up and he sees kind of a tray of some donuts. And so he just says, you know what, that can't be that, that bad. So... He says to the guy behind the counter, and he says, hey, um, can I just have a donut and some coffee? And he said, and I know how these places work. I know in the back all kinds of stuff happens. But in the front, I would have expected or liked to have seen the guy use some tissue paper or some tongs and kind of, kind of put my, pick my donut up that way. But instead, the guy just wipes his hand off on his pant leg, reaches up there, grabs a donut, and drops it on a plate. And he said, and I'm thinking in my head, that's disgusting. But it's three in the morning. What do I expect? So the guy brings me the, the, doing the coffee, and as I'm, as I'm sitting at the counter, then in walk um, three prostitutes. And they sit down next to me, and he said, and, and they're kind of loud. I'm thinking about making my exit just to get out of here, because it kind of felt uncomfortable for me. And, and he said, but then uh, one of them says, well, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And her other friend says to her, well, so what? What, do you want a birthday party? Ah. And the woman, who he found out her name was Agnes, she says, no, I don't want a birthday party. I was just telling you, I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why would, why would tomorrow be any different? As Antonio decides right then, he kind of waits out the women and they leave. And then he looks at the, the kind of big guy behind the counter whose name was Harry. And he says, um, do they come in here every night? And, and as you would if you were the guy working there, you look at him like, what, are you trying to pick them up? I mean, what, what? yes, why? Um, well, the, that one, um, I think um, the middle one, the one who said it was going to be a birthday, is she coming every night? And she goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, that, her name's Agnes. And he goes, well, she said tomorrow's her birthday. I, I want to throw our birthday party here, if that's okay. And, and the big guy goes, are you serious? He goes, yeah. She said she never had a birthday party. Let's throw a birthday party. Is that okay? I mean, I'll, I'll get all the decorations. I'll, I'll do all that stuff. Is that fine? And Harry yells back to his wife in the kitchen. He says, this guy wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes. And he's like, she goes, oh, that sounds sweet. Agnes is a sweet lady. And so... So Tony says, okay, let's do this birthday party. He says, I'll even go buy a cake. And, and Harry goes, no, no, you don't need to buy a cake. I'll, I'll take care of the cake. That one's mine. So next day comes, Tony, um, Tony went and got crepe paper and decorations, and he had the whole diner looking good. But by 3.15, nearly every prostitute in Honolulu had found this diner because they'd all been invited to the birthday party by Harry behind the counter. So about 3.30 on the dot, in walks Agnes with her friends. And here's Tony Campolo 
this sociologist slash pastor in his diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning with its wall-to-wall prostitutes and him. And they sing, happy birthday, Agnes, happy birthday to you. And when it comes time to cut the cake, she, she freezes and she starts crying. And she says, do, do we have to cut it yet? And Harry, the big gruff guy behind the counter, goes, ah, no, I guess we don't have to cut it. I mean, it, it's your cake. You do what you want with it. Well, can I take it home and show my mom? I'll be right back, I promise. So Agnes runs home and she shows her mom this cake. And of course, it's awkward now because there's Tony and all these people in this room. And, and Tony kind of looks around and everyone kind of looks at him because he's kind of the de facto MC of the event. And, and Tony says, well, um, he says, I didn't know what to do. We didn't have much in common in this room. And I said, how about we pray? And it, and it just seemed like the right thing to do. And so we prayed. And so here we prayed for Agnes, for her salvation and for her family and for her life. And I finished praying and... and uh, Harry came over and he goes, I didn't know you were some kind of preacher. And he goes, what kind of church do you belong to anyway? And, and Tony said in one of those moments when he knows God's words for you, he says, I belong to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry looks at him and he says, no, you don't. There's no church like that or I'd be a part of that. See, the truth is, I, I think God really wants us to live lives of unexpected arrival in such a way that it's not an uncommon story for us to tell stories of birthday parties thrown for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. I, want us to, I think he wants us to live with such kind of reckless abandon in faith and hope and love. that The world looks radically different because of our faithfulness in our everyday ordinary lives. That's why this morning we'll take communion as a reminder that that God shows up in the unexpected, but, but his arrival brings us opportunity. And so we, we participate by taking these elements of communion as a way to say, God, we, we're yours. Use us. We love you. We believe that somehow you have purpose for our life, that every day is an opportunity for us to be an unexpected arrival in the life of someone else. It's also an opportunity for, for us to see you do something in our life we didn't expect. And so we take these elements, this bread and this cup, and they represent to us Jesus' broken body and his shed blood, his grace for us. And then today, as you leave at both exits, uh, as you leave, we will, every time we take communion, uh, we, I did this the, maybe the better way this time. Our boards talked about it. And every time we, we take communion, we will take an offering at the end of the service to help people in need, a benevolence offering, a kindness offering to help people who find themselves in places of brokenness. And so for us, it's an opportunity to do that as you leave today. So, so we get to respond in God's unexpected arrival in our lives, the unexpected birth of Jesus, the unexpected stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Gabriel showing up in the midst of their lives and these children which changed their lives and in fact changed the very course of history. Because the truth is, I think God probably has something he wants to do in our everyday ordinary lives. God wants to use us for unexpected arrivals in the lives of others. God wants to use our faithfulness in everyday, ordinary stuff to change the world. But we have to be faithful in the midst of that. And so our opportunity to model faithfulness, to recognize God's got a purpose for our life, that God has hope for us, happens as we take communion, and as we model generosity. And so this morning, as we prepare to do that, may we live as a people ready for God's unexpected arrivals in our lives, whatever they may look like. So this morning, if the Hesslinks and the Pratts would help with communion this morning, um, as I'm going to pray and as they come, we prepare our hearts that God will be at work in us and through us. Father, we thank you this morning.
for the way you continue to be at work in and among us. We thank you for the way that you you continue to help us know what it looks like to model faithfulness and love. And so we pray today that you would use these moments together, this time of communion, as an opportunity for us to know you. An opportunity for us to respond to the grace of God that calls to us, that comes to us. And so we pray in these moments that you would help us to be your people. As we prepare to take this bread and this cup, which symbolize your love for us, may we recognize you call us to be faithful in everyday, ordinary lives. And you'll do the unexpected. And so, Father, we pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, um, we'll take communion by what we call, it's called an intinction. Um, it's just a kind of weird name that means you rip off a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup. Um, so we believe communion is one of the, the two sacraments. The other is baptism, but, but a sacrament is just the idea of this means of grace that God's love is seen in invisible expressions. And so this morning, we'll invite you to come out of the middle outside aisles in just a moment and you know, rip off a piece of bread and, and the person holding the bread will say to you, the body of Christ. And you'll dip it in the cup and the person holding the cup will say, the blood of Christ. And these, for us, are opportunities for us to recognize God's saving grace in our lives. That he forgives us for who we have been and he invites us to live this new life filled with hope. And so this morning, as you come, if, you, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, then by your declaration of, of ripping off a piece of bread and dipping a cup, what you're saying is, I want to follow Jesus with my life. Or maybe today, as you rip off a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup, you're saying, I, I've been following and I want to keep following Jesus with the rest of my life. And so I'd invite you to come this morning and take communion with us together now.
Would you stand with me this morning? As you leave this day, may we recognize that the grace of God goes with us wherever we go. May we live in such a way that we model lives after Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary. May we live expecting God to do the unexpected in our lives. May we live waiting for unexpected arrivals. May we live as a people of hope. And as you go this day, a reminder that if you want to just drop some money to help those in need as you leave, all that money will be used as, as benevolence, as acts of kindness. So we leave, may we go in the grace and peace and love of God. We pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. Maybe as we leave in these moments that we know your grace and your love and your hope. So Father, we do trust all of our lives to you. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. May you go in God's grace and peace and love.